son who attends prayer meeting said, Dad, let's sing some scripture songs that we're learning on Wednesday evening. My heart is just pulsating with joy. And I want to give you a special invitation to be here on Wednesday night to learn some of those songs as well. We're having a great time in the Lord. We have a number of people that are absent today. Uh, we're at camp meetings, some at graduation, some on vacation, other parts of our beautiful country, and we certainly want to be praying for those. We also want to pray for Brother Don Wilkerson today. He's in the hospital. He has a viral infection. Uh, he'll be going home today. Uh, text him this morning and so told him that we would be having prayer for him. So let's be lifting Brother Don up in our prayers. Great praise report from Sister Jan. She's doing wonderful after her surgery on Monday, and she appreciates all of you praying for her. Would you bow your hearts together with me in prayer? Father God, we pause to thank you for what we are experiencing with you and one another during this time of worship and fellowship together. Thank you that we are a part of your family. And as part of your family, we can bear the burdens of one another, and we can pray oft for one another. And so realizing the importance of what we're about to study from your word today, again, I'm offering myself as a vessel, a fresh and new with your hands at this very moment. Please cleanse me with the washing of the blood of your dear Son, and please anoint with the power of your sweet Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, so that your purpose, your design purpose might be accomplished for each of us as individuals, as families, and as a church collective. Because as I pray, and praises for victories I give in Christ's name, amen. We are in the midst of a study regarding the kind of people God desires for us to be. We've looked at the importance of being a reconciled people, the importance of being a committed people, the importance of being a studying people, and today we're looking at the importance of being a praying people. During the Great Welch Revival that took place in the early 1900s, church history records that many people became Christians. An American traveled across the ocean to investigate that tremendous spiritual phenomenon that was transpiring in the country of Wales. And upon arriving, he asked one of the brethren this question, what's the secret? What's the secret to this great revival that you are having here in this part of the world? The brethren Wales smiled and responded, there is no secret. Ask, and you shall receive. That was a true statement then, and it is a true statement today. Because upon investigating every great spiritual deliverance and revival that's ever transpired, it becomes very evident that each one has been the result of prevailing fervent prayer on the part of God's people. In fact, we are told in the Bible that God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, God says he will do for us what needs to be done. 
I'm about to make a statement I hope you never forget. It's not meant to be critical, it's not meant to be judgmental, but I'm convicted in my intellect and I'm convinced in my emotions that prayer is not a program. Thank God for all of the good seminars we have had and do presently have on prayer. But prayer is not a program. Prayer must be a lifestyle. Because my Bible says that you and I are to pray without ceasing. And so the question I'm asking myself today and asking you is this. When God's people pray as we should and as we could, what happens? I believe with all of my mind and all of my heart that when we pray as we should, there will be at least three results that are manifested. Number one, we will recognize God's presence. Look at Acts chapter 4, the A part of verse 31. And when they, speaking of God's people, had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Now, don't raise your hands. But how many of you have ever been privileged to be present in an assembly of believers during a time of religious convocation, and the presence of God was so recognizable in that place that the building was shaken at its foundation? I doubt if many of us have ever had that opportunity. In fact, in all probability, if most of us were in a building during a time of religious convocation, and that building started to shake we would be looking for the closest window or door. And if there wasn't one nearby, we might try to make one about the size of our body. But the Bible says when the early church prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken because of the presence of God. As lukewarm as the condition of our Laodicean church age is, You and I must never think for one moment that Jesus has forsaken us. As lukewarm as we God's people have allowed ourselves to become, we must never lose grip of the awareness that God is still in the midst of his church. Every now and then after hearing some prophet of doom and despair, and have you noticed how we seem to be having more and more of those arise on the surface But every now and then after hearing some prophet of doom and despair moan and groan and tell me how bad the church is, and I'll be the first one to admit that we have some challenges and some issues that we need to face and and we need to deal with. But every now and then after hearing one of these prophets of doom and despair moan and groan and tell me how bad the church is, I drop to my knees And I ask God's Spirit to revive in my mind and in my heart the vision of Revelation chapter 1. John is on the Isle of Patmos, and I want you to notice what he saw and what he wrote in Revelation 1, verses 12 and 13. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And I want you to underscore this next phrase. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto who? Like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And then, as of an anticipation of John asking, 
for an interpretation, an explanation of what he had just seen, Jesus gives us, as he gave John, that explanation in verse 20. Listen, John, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. So Jesus is going to explain. John, the seven stars of the angels or the messengers, if you will, of the seven churches. Those seven local churches that existed in Asia Minor at that time that represented the seven churches that would exist from the resurrection of Christ unto the second coming of Jesus in the clouds of glory. The seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now listen to me carefully. The Bible states that just as sure as the Son of Man mentioned in verse 13 is Jesus Christ, even so Jesus is still in the midst of this last church age. Because one of those seven golden candlesticks represents the church of Laodicea of which you and I are members. And a long time before we allowed ourselves to slide into a lukewarm condition, Jesus made this promise. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you how long? I will be with you all the way, even unto the end of the age. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that's exciting. That's so exciting to me. If I were in a Pentecostal church, I'd say hallelujah about now. I think I will anyway. Hallelujah. We may have given up on ourselves and we may have given up on one another, but God has not given up on us. And Jesus is still in the midst of this Laodicean church. And I declare that Jesus is still in the midst of University Parkway, Seventy Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. God longs for his people to recognize his presence. You see, that's always been God's desire. And what we need is an old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival. We need an awakening. We need an awakening like that experienced by Jacob. Do you remember that story? Let me take you to Genesis chapter 28 and refresh our memory. Well, those of you that are following in your Bibles are turning, and I appreciate so very much the Scriptures projected behind me. In Genesis 28, Jacob is having a dream, a personal encounter with God. I want to pick up the text as Jacob's dream is coming to a conclusion in Genesis 28 in verse 15. God is talking. And listen to what God said to Jacob. Jacob, behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places where thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee. You know what that sounds like? Sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And as if Jacob is about to ask, well, God, how long will you be with me? God responds, Jacob, I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. What's God saying? God's saying, Jacob, 
It doesn't matter how dismal the circumstances may be. It doesn't matter how dark the clouds may appear. It doesn't matter how strong the army may seem. I want you to know that when you're walking through your greatest time of trouble, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will be there all the way until what I've promised has come to pass. And my brothers and sisters, God is saying the same thing to spiritual Israel today that God said to physical Israel hundreds of years ago. Because if I understand the signs of the time correctly, you and I are headed for a time of trouble. We as Seventh-day Adventist Christians refer to it as what? The time of Jacob's trouble. And God's saying to the church today, church, it doesn't matter how dismal the circumstances may be. It doesn't matter how dark the clouds may appear. It doesn't matter how strong the army may seem. I want you to understand that when you're walking through your greatest time of trouble, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you, I will be with you all the way even unto the end. What a wonderful message of hope God has given us. Several years ago, I was talking with a friend, and he shared with me that he had just purchased some new property in the mountains. And I knew that he already had some nice property, and so I asked him why he had purchased this new property. And he smiled real big and said, well, Dan, I bought this property so I can escape. And I thought I knew what he was talking about, but I wanted to make sure, and so I smiled equally as large and asked, escape from what? Are you in trouble with the law? And he started laughing, and he said, no, Dan, you know what I'm talking about. I said, no, I don't. Escape from what? He said, well, I bought this property so that if I or my family are alive, during the time of trouble, we can escape there and be safe. And when he said that, I knew I had him right where he needed to be. And so again, I smiled equally as big and said, well, that may be okay, but may I ask you a few questions And one of his favorite sayings was, shoot, and I shot. I said, question number one, do you think the devil's smart? He nodded and said, absolutely, the devil's smart. I said, we are in agreement. Question number two, do you think the devil's smarter than you are? He nodded again and said, yes, I believe the devil's smarter than I am. I said, third question. Do you believe the devil, through his demons, is able to be in more than one place at a time? And he paused, and that puzzle expression was there, and then he finally responded, Yes, I believe that the devil is able to be in more than one place at a time through his demons. And when he said that, I knew then I had him right where he needed to be. And so I smiled again and said, I've got one more question. Do you think just by chance, while you were registering that deed to that new property, to where you are planning to escape, that there was a demon looking over your shoulder and the devil already knows where you're planning to escape to? He looked at me and said, well, you know, I never thought about that. My brothers and sisters, just between you and me and whoever you choose to share it with, I'm not worried about the future. 
Because I'm told as long as I remember how God's led in my past, and as long as I keep my hand in the hand of Jesus, if I'm alive when the time of trouble comes and God wants me to escape, my personal angel is going to take me to his place of safety for me, and all the devils and demons cannot touch my life. <laughs> because if God be for me, who can be against me? Now, I want you to notice Jacob's reaction in verse number 16 of Genesis 28. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep. Now, I want to pause there and make a statement. Am I smiling? Can you see my teeth? I love you. My brothers and sisters, it's time we wake up. It's time we wake up spiritually, and it's time we wake up physically, especially in church. Now, I've already noticed, am I still smiling? I've already noticed that some of you have a tendency to doze off a little bit, and that's all right. I just choose to believe if you go to sleep when I'm preaching, either a couple of things are present. Either you already know it all and don't need to learn anything else. Or you have so much confidence in me that I will not make a mistake that you just feel comfortable in going to sleep. Well, if you go to sleep when I'm preaching, let me assure you one thing. As far as I know, I do not have the gift of healing. And if you fall off your pew and break your neck, we might just have to have a memorial service for you. Okay? It's time we wake up. Look at it. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. My brothers and sisters, though we understand that God is in this place right now. And when we pray and recognize the presence of God, not only will we recognize God's presence in the church, but we'll recognize God's presence at Walmart. We'll recognize God's presence driving on Interstate 10. We'll recognize God's presence in the classroom. We'll recognize God's presence on the job. We'll recognize God's presence in the home. God wants you and God wants me to pray so that we might recognize his presence. Because there's so much at stake. Secondly, when we pray as we should and could, not only will we recognize the presence of God, but secondly, we will receive the power of God. Back in Acts chapter 4, the B part of verse 31. And when they had prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. As Jesus was preparing to leave his disciples and ascend back to heaven, he stated that one of the identifying marks of his followers being filled with the Holy Spirit of God would be the receiving of power in their lives. And receive power they did. I mean, the same Simon Peter, who had fear grasp a hold of his vocal cords, the same Simon Peter who denied Jesus three times in a short period of time, after spending time in that upper room praying, recognizing the presence of God and being filled with the power of God, could leave that upper room, stand on a street corner in Jerusalem, 
lift his voice like a trumpet, preach a Pentecostal sermon, and thousands of people be converted, baptized, and added to the church of God. What made the difference in his life? It was a power of God. And my brothers and sisters, God has not changed. And God desires for your life, and God desires for my life to be filled with the dynamic power of his sweet Holy Spirit. I must confess that when I was a young preacher boy growing up, I read Acts 4.31 and I became a little confused. Because immediately I recognized that these individuals in Acts 4.31 that are being filled with the power of God's sweet Holy Spirit are the very same ones who were filled with the power of God's Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And I remember asking myself and God this question, why? Why, God? Why, if they were filled with the power of your sweet spirit on the day of Pentecost, why did they need to be filled again a short time later? Late one afternoon, I learned the reason why. I was on the way to visit my girlfriend at that time. It wasn't Rebecca at that time. It actually was a blonde-headed girl who could play the piano with one hand and the organ with the other hand. I was on my way to visit my girlfriend, looking forward to a nice evening. I was driving down that long dirt road in my 1960 Blue Corvair. Any of you remember those little cars and the engine in the rear? I had on a nice sweater. My hair was slicked back with Vitalis. Now, you young people don't know what Vitalis is, but when I was growing up, Vitalis was a stuff. Okay, I had hair. It was jet black, had a little wave to it. And so I had on my nice-looking sweater. My hair was slicked back with Vitalis. And all of a sudden, my nice 1960 blue Corvair started to spit and sputter, and I knew what had happened. I'd run out of gas. I walked back down the road, and I stood in front of the service station attendant with my head bowed, asking, Sir, do you have a gasoline can I can put some fuel in? You see, I have run out of gas. And while he did not say a word, it seemed as though he were yelling at the top of his lungs, Young man, you look fairly intelligent. You are dressed really nice. But don't you understand that's why service stations are in existence? So every now and then, foolish young men like you can stop in and fill up again. And while walking back down that long, dirt, dusty road, shifting that gasoline can from one hand to another as my arms were getting heavier and heavier, it dawned on me why they needed to be filled again. Very simple principle. You and I cannot live on yesterday's filling. Wonderful that we may have been filled with God's Spirit in the past, but my brothers and spirit, my brothers and sisters, we need a spiritual filling of God's power in our lives every single day that we live. In the book of Second Corinthians, chapter four. I want you to listen to what Paul wrote to the church then and what God's Spirit is saying to the church today. Because it's so easy to endeavor to walk today 
on the strength we received yesterday and wonder why all the time every step seems to become more and more taxing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul testified that the church then and you and I today can expect daily frustrations and troubles. And because of that, we need faith. We need faith so that our inward man and woman can be constantly revived. Look at verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed or empowered. How often? One more time. How often? One more time. How often? Day by day. You see, when you and I allow God's Spirit to fill us, when we allow God's power to fill us, the Bible says we can do how much? We can do all things through Christ who what? Who strengthens or empowers us. Now, one of the things you will learn about Pastor Dan is I am privileged along with Rebecca to serve as your pastoral couple is this. Basically, I am a very positive individual. I do not ascribe to the philosophy of possibility thinking or or positive thinking, but I do believe the Bible. And my Bible says all the promises of God are yea and amen. (laughs) And so I'm a very positive individual. Several years ago, I was conducting a revival series, and I looked down the hallway. It was a long hallway, and And there was a young teenage girl coming my direction, and she had this huge grin on her face. She walked up to me, and she grabbed a hold of both of my hands, and she started shaking. And she said, Pastor Dan, you are so positive in the Lord. I believe if you went fishing for Moby Dick, the great white whale, you would go out in a one-man rowboat with one harpoon, and the rest of the boat would be loaded with tartar sauce. (laughs) And I like that. I later learned she got it from Zig Ziglar, but I'm glad she felt that way about me because I believe with all of my mind and all of my heart that God and me make a majority, and if God be for me, who can be against me? My brothers and sisters, we need to pray so that we will be filled with the power of God's Holy Spirit. Number three, when we pray as we should and could, Not only will we recognize the presence of God, not only will we be filled with the power of God, but we will accomplish the purpose of God. Back in Acts 4, the C part of verse 31. And when they had prayed, they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, let me pause here and ask a question. You don't have to respond out loud. In your mind and in your heart, what is the purpose of this church? Why are we in existence? When everything is said and done, why are we here? Let me take you a left in the book of Acts to chapter 1. Jesus is speaking in verse number 8. And listen carefully to what Jesus said to the disciples then, and Jesus is saying to we disciples today. Acts 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power 
After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Notice I have a left my subject. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Pensacola and in all Florida and the United States unto the uttermost part of the earth. Isn't that what your Bible says? That's exactly what my King James Version of the Bible says. You see, God's purpose for us has not changed. It was God's purpose for the church then to be witnesses for Jesus, and it's God's purpose for the church today to be witnesses for Jesus. Now, follow me very closely. As individuals within the church body and as a church collective, you and I have been called to be witnesses unto our Lord. And we can only witness effectively of that which we possess. Are you listening to me? We can never witness effectively about the presence of God if we ourselves do not recognize the presence of God. We can never effectively witness about the power of God if we ourselves are not being daily filled with the power of God. Will you agree with me that the world you and I live in needs to be penetrated with the changing essence of the good news of Jesus Christ? And I'm about to ask you a question I hope you never forget. How can Christ's message be effectively delivered until we first pray? Do we dare presume to tell man about God without first of all talking to God about man? May I repeat that? Do we presume, do we dare Endeavor to tell man about God without first of all talking to God about man. What I'm about to say is not meant to be critical. It's not meant to be judgmental. We, we have thousands of handbills printed up to advertise to the community and evangelistic meeting. We have radio spots and television advertisements to tell the community about Jesus, and nothing wrong with that, praise God, for for those media outlets. But in comparison to our endeavors to tell the community about Christ, how much time do we spend on our knees talking to Christ about the community? Are you listening to me? My brothers and sisters, When we start talking more to Christ about the community, more of the community will listen to us about our Christ. When I was growing up in the Pentecostal church, we used to sing a little song that went like this. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and win that soul through me. We need to talk to Jesus about family about friends, about the community. When I was in seminary, one of my professors shared a story that had a tremendous impact on my prayer life. He said there was a renowned preacher, pastor, who decided to preach a series of sermons on the subject of prayer. 
He went to his library, he exhausted all of his resources, he got all of his sermons in that series down in proper homiletical sequence. And on the Sunday morning, he was to begin that series of sermons on the subject of prayer, just as he was arising from his pew to walk to the pulpit, God's Spirit pressed him back down and asked this question, how dare you preach on prayer? seeing you have not prayed about what you should preach. That question so impacted that pastor that with tears streaming down his cheeks, he walked off the platform. He stood in front of that congregation of hundreds of people, and he confessed his error. He knelt at the altar and began crying that God would forgive him of his error. That scene so impacted that congregation that without any music, without any singing, collectively as one body, without any verbal invitation, they stood to their feet. They streamed down the aisles, knelt around their pastor, and began praying. A revival broke out in that church that lasted for weeks, and scores of people became Christians, were baptized, and added to the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, my brothers and sisters. And I tell myself this often, Danny, never one time did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to preach. Never once. But I do hear them asking, teach us to pray. (laughs) Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And who is our example when it comes to prayer? Is it not Jesus? Do you remember how Jesus started his earthly ministry? He started by spending 40 days in fasting and prayer. In the next three plus years, we see him often sometimes spending entire nights in prayer. In that garden of Gethsemane, while the disciples were separated, we see Jesus down on his knees praying in such intensity that his sweat was dropping to the earth like great droplets of blood. And in the most majestic position he ever assumed, hanging on that old rugged cross, his last words were in the form of a prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And my brothers and sisters, do you understand what Jesus is doing right now? While we are here in this place, do you know what Jesus is doing? He's praying for us as our great high priest. And I declare unto us today that if Jesus, the Son of God, sensed the urgency to pray while he walked on this earth, 
And if Jesus, the Son of God, still senses the urgency to pray right now, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ need to follow his example. Amen? We need a revival. We need a revival of prayer. There is a verse of Scripture in John 17 that I am daily praying will become a reality soon and very soon. Pardon me, Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. Listen, Acts 17 verse 6. And when they found them not, talking about the followers of Christ, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I came to Pensacola, Florida with a prayer burning in my spirit. And the prayer is this. God, turn Pensacola, Florida upside down for your glory and for your honor. You see, God hasn't changed. Amen. God's the same today as he was yesterday, and God will be the same tomorrow as he is today. God has not changed, and God wants to turn your world, and God wants to turn my world. God wants to turn this community upside down for the glory of his blessed kingdom. And it can happen when we spend time in prayer. We need to pray like the disciples. We need to pray like John Knox. Have you ever read the prayer of John Knox? This is how we prayed. God, give me Scotland or I die. Oh, my brothers and sisters, when you and I begin to pray like that, things will happen. We will recognize the presence of God. We will be filled with the power of God and we will accomplish the purpose of God. I close by taking us to Mark chapter 13. And I want you to listen to what flowed from the gracious lips of Christ. Mark 13, beginning in verse number 31. And Jesus was resounding to his disciples then and resounds to his disciples today. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. And underscore for the rest of your life and living, verse number 33, take you heed, watch and pray. For you know not when the time is. Do you see a need? Do you see a need in our personal lives? Do you see a need in our homes? Do you see a need in our schools? Do you see a need in our churches for more of the presence and power of God so that God's purpose can be accomplished? Do you see that need? What's the secret? There is no secret. Jesus said in John 16 and verse 24, Ask and you shall receive. 
And as if someone is about to ask, well, Jesus, why should we ask? I love this next phrase, ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Is there anybody else here besides me that wants your joy full? You see, God, that's God's desire for us. And our joy can be full if we ask. Because God's word says we have not because we ask not. My brothers and sisters, I'm challenging us to become more and more a praying people. I believe in this so strongly that for the next five to six months, every Wednesday night, I will be teaching on the subject of prayer. That's how strongly I believe in this pillar that we need in our lives as individuals and as a church. I'm about to ask a favor of you, and I believe that you will grant this favor. Heretofore, you as a church family on Sabbath morning have brought your prayer needs and you have placed them on the open Bible, and I so very much appreciate this time of family prayer. It has been a blessing to me thus far. But up until now, only the pastor has been privy to those prayer requests. And when they are given to me, I pray for those needs throughout the week. But I'm asking this favor of you because I have communicated to the elders that I very much desire for your elders, our elders, to be involved in this prayer ministry. And so I'm asking your permission to share these needs with our elders. If there are some issues that I sense are of private nature and you're communicating just to me, of course, they will be kept just in my mind and in my heart. But would you grant us that privilege as your board of elders to be interceders for you? Would you grant us that privilege? Is there anyone that would be opposed to that? You don't have to raise your hand. Just come to me and and talk to me about it. Father God, thank you that your ear is always open to us. Your heart is always accessible to us. Thank you, Lord, that you neither sleep nor slumber. Thank you, Father, for always being a listening Father God. And Lord, I'm asking that you will help each of us to become more and more cognizant of the days in which we live and to understand that you are coming back for a praying people. So Lord, impress deep in our minds and hearts that prayer is not a program. Prayer must be a lifestyle. That we must be instant in season and out of season. That we must be people with an attitude of communion with you. People who pray without ceasing. Because this prayer, I pray, 
and praises for victories I give in the praying name of Jesus. Amen. Invite you to stand as we sing our hymn of response, number 478. 478. While we're preparing to sing this, I want to give you a special invitation to be back next Sabbath. There was a famous radio commentator who had a popular little slogan about the rest of the story. Next week, we're going to look at the rest of the story. We're going to look at the importance of being a praising people. If you know someone that goes through periods of depression, you need to invite them to be here next week. If you know someone that's on a roller coaster of being up and down in their religious, spiritual experience, you need to invite them to be here next week. We're going to have a hallelujah time as we look at the importance of being a praising people. You don't want to miss next Sabbath. Consolation 
ocean share till from mountains God's lofty height I view my home and take my flight in my immortal flesh I'll rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air farewell farewell sweet heart of prayer heavenly father as we leave this sanctuary we can hardly wait to bid farewell to prayer, to lay hold to that everlasting prize that you have prepared for us. But until then, help us to be faithful and true and to realize that every prayer we pray is precious to you. It's like sweet incense. In Jesus' name, amen.